we were talking about the triumphal entrance of Jesus being ushered in and being declared king. Uh, we come to this point of kind of uh, this for us as a church coming after Zephaniah, right? And we talked about through Zephaniah that this was the day of the Lord and it's coming as judgment and as restoration. And that we should live like we're in the middle of that, whether it's judgment or restoration, that we're called to come together and live with that intent. And now here we come ushering in the king of kings to do just that. And that's what they were thinking. When they were worshiping, when they were calling on Christ's name, they were welcoming him in as the king for what they thought was going to be judgment, but came to be restoration. Let's turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 41, or 28. Sorry, older now. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called, called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it, bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. Throwing their cloaks on the coat, they sat Jesus on it. And he rode along as they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawing, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God, worshiped him for all of the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus' entrance is the people welcoming in their king. There's a few things that recognize this. One, they're calling him their king. This is the prophetic vision being brought forth. And so if you are familiar with the old story, you see what is going on here. And we can look at this and we can see that there's something unique happening because he's walking in or he's coming in on a donkey, which we don't always look as the most kingly beast that we would choose. Yet there's a tie back to how Mary came in. And there's also an understanding that if you weren't at war, you didn't need a horse. The horse was the beast for war, and the donkey was about peace. And so here we have the king who's being declared coming in in peace, which is not quite how the people were hoping it would be done. But they still celebrated this coming. And even being questioned, he declares, if the people wouldn't recognize it, God's earth would. That it declares who he is. 
This is his triumphal entrance. And he's coming in, and we're going to see that he's not going to do the things that people thought he was going to do. And on this side of the cross, we understand where he is heading and what this means. But as we come in, let's look at what God is talking about here. We're going to look at defining what God's kingdom is because they're calling in a kingdom as they do this. We're going to try to understand why we need God's kingdom to come. And we need to understand how God's kingdom is coming to us. And then as this story continues, and we'll get to it, we need to understand how God's people missed his kingdom coming in, even though they celebrated it with him in the street. So let's start with defining God's kingdom. We've talked about this a few times, that heaven and God's kingdom is God's presence with God's, in God's place with God's people. Right? And there's, there's a relationship that happens here that you really can't have one without part of the other, and that they all make sense together. That God's presence would be with his people in his place. That's, that's a kingdom. Right? That's the right picture of the kingdom. That's where it started. Right? Where God created both heavens and earth and then his people and put them in there. Right? And as we look at that, we need to understand what else is a kingdom defined as? In the original Greek, there's, there's two different definitions of what a kingdom is. It's called basileia. I probably butchered that. Uh, But it has a verb tense and a noun tense. Both are true. Both are real. Uh, To start, we're going to look at the verb. That it means to have the royal power. To be in kingship. The act of being a king. To be the ruler. To reign. And we need to not confuse this with the place, which is the territory of a king. Right? And you really can't have a kingdom, the territory, without a king who's ruling it with it. By definition, that wouldn't make sense. But sometimes, as we look at a kingdom, the reign needs to be ushered in before the place comes. As we rule over the people. So, the kingdom is both the, uh, the reign of the king and the place of the king. When we talk about God's kingdom, I'm going to want to go back and talk about what God's presence means a little bit. Because this, to me, is where that, that kingdom reign starts to play out for us. Uh, and we're going to start this by going back to uh, just a quick story. Um, it's my 20th anniversary this week. We needed babysitters. Uh, because we were hoping to celebrate, like when we were first married, with no children. The piece of that is we don't just ask someone to be present with our children, do we? Um, We like when their presence actually involves them engaging into life with our kids. Um, My mom does great with that. We ask friends to watch Caleb, and uh, because we're trying to love them and their individual growth areas. But when I asked my mom to watch my my little girls, not so little girls, um, I don't want them, her just to be present in the room, to be grandma sitting on the couch while they're playing with the stove. (laughs) We would like grandma to say, no, 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 let's not touch the hot stove. Right? But you could be grandma and just sit there and watch. 
and be present. You could be grandma and just watch them raid the refrigerator and eat whatever they want. But grandma, one, loves to cook for them, and two, wants to make sure they have at least some substance before they get all the candy. Right? And so to be present isn't just to sit there with, but to provide protection, to provide some governance, um, to take care of. Uh, my grandpa Jim was one of those guys as well. Uh, when I was little, he, he was my Northwest, Pacific Northwest grandpa. He would fly into Chicago, and he would spend time with us. And what that looked like was way different than what my other grandma would did, which she would sit there. When it was grandma time, we would come hang out, and then when she was done with us, we went away. Um, we could play cards, um, but grandma had her own rules. Grandpa Jim uh, had the persona like... Like, he didn't have power. That he wasn't worried, and he could just let us do whatever we want. But as soon as uh, we started using grandma's rules and not the proper grandpa rules, um, all of a sudden, the voice came out. The look came. Right? There was an authority there that we would respect and just kind of turn on a dime. The same thing would happen when we would try out new words with grandpa. Um, of course, he would, he's actually incredible. He would validate if we actually knew what we were talking about. Um, normally we did, and we were trying to show off, which didn't last long, right? And so there's this authority that comes out. And if we didn't want to live with his authority, then he told us, you're welcome to go play by yourself. You're not going to talk like that around. So as we talk about God's presence, there is this picture that we need to live under that reign and under that authority in order to receive the things he's promised. So if we understand kind of what the kingdom is, that it's his reign and his territory, it's us living in respect and submission and under his authority, like why do we need God's kingdom to come? We've got this picture here. And this is what it looked like in the beginning. Heaven and earth were united. We, uh, we were able to live in God's presence, in God's place, as God's people. And all of that worked well. And that's the picture we get in the end as well, when God returns. We are God's people living in his place, that he's restored in his presence, both in worship and receiving protection and blessing. But unfortunately, we live in this fractured middle, right? Because sin has pulled those apart. Because of disobedience, we have to be removed out of that presence because God is holy. And it's not that he doesn't love us, but he wants us to live under his authority because that's how we've been designed to live. And God didn't change his presence. He didn't change his place, although we, or his people, but we interpret it, we live it out differently. Because our, our experience with God is not that same experience. We don't live in that same Eden that was there 
but we live on this side of, of that gate. God's people are still God's people, but we need to be restored into that relationship. Now here's, here's that picture, right? We have a king who still reigns. He can't alter who he is. Otherwise, that destroys the kingdom. If he's going to give in to us, then he is no longer the king, but we are the kings over him, and that doesn't make that kingdom really work. But you know what? God has done some stuff. God has taken that fractured world, and he's been working to pull it back together. And he started with, with his people. And God uses his people, just like he uses us today, to bring his kingdom back together. Not to bring the place of his kingdom back, but to bring the reign of his kingdom back. And he did it through his law. He gave us the law and his words so that we could understand and see what his heart desired for us. And yet, you know what? Time and time again, we lost that law. We put it aside. We would choose parts of it, not all of it, to live under him. He provided a land. As we look at the promised land, God took his people out and said, I'm going to give you a land. And restored a place. But they didn't want just, well, they wanted the land but they didn't want the king to rule the land. Right? And time and time again, we see that he provided protection for his people, leading them through the desert, leading them through the waters, feeding them. And yet, you know what? They turned on him. And you know what? And this is the piece for us today, is we, we can look back and say, that was their problem, we wouldn't do that, but that's, that's not what happens. I know my heart. There are things that will get in the way, things that we don't realize we're elevating to, to equal or above God, and we look at those. Or there's parts of the law that I feel we should follow, and other parts I think I shouldn't have to. Or maybe I'm not ready to. That'll happen later in life. All right, so as we talk about God's kingdom and his reign and why we need it, we see we need to see how God's kingdom is coming to us. Right? And we talked about this, that God's kingdom is coming through his people. God brought the law, God brought the land, God brought the provisions, trying to call his people back to him. Right? We see it in Noah, in Abraham, in Jacob, in Moses. Right? And we can keep going on. But it wasn't working. But God still restored his kingdom through his people. He did it through his son. I want you to follow with me. Uh, I'm going to read through part of Jesus' life. And what we need to see is that in Jesus' life, what he's ushering in is not the place of God, but the reign of God. And that the reign of God comes before his place is restored. Because he's more worried about li us living in his presence than we are about living in the same place for right now. We can see this in Matthew 1. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. God brought his son to his people. Put his son into the frail human body just like we work with. In his image, and then he lived the life we should have lived. He lived under the father's reign. And here's the picture of that. Why is that important? One, because we have a real connection with who Jesus is. But two is God's design for our bodies was to live this way. It is possible. We go forward into Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How do we live in his authority? How do we live under his reign in his kingdom? We know the spirit changes our hearts. And repentance is that outward expression of what's happening inside our lives. Right? That as we recognize who God is and his desire to restore us into his presence and his place as his people, we need to recognize that we create these other kingdoms that we need to walk away from. And we need to stop looking at them and turn and look at his and saying, yes, that's what I want. Matthew 5, 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. God is concerned about how well we live under his authority. Will we listen to all of his commands or part of his commands? And he says there's a difference between those who are willing to live under some of them and all of them because he says there's the least and there's the greatest. Now this doesn't change the fact that Christ died on the cross for our salvation but we do need to reflect that God cares about how well we live out what, the, what he has done on the cross for us. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. He says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can see that comma in there as an opportunity to split God's kingdom and God's reign. That we are praying for heaven to return now and we are praying for his reign to come back. I'll tell you they're connected. Right? Your will be done because it's your kingdom that's coming. It's your reign that you have in heaven I want here. We're not praying for God's place to happen here. We're praying for God's reign to take over our hearts and to lead us and to guide us because we know his place is coming. It's interesting walking through today's reading. Um, we can add one more to this walk with Christ. We're coming to this story as Christ stands before Pilate and Pilate asks him if he is the king of the Jews. He says, do you say this on your own accord or do others say it to you about me? 
that he's the king. And Pilate answers, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus talks of the kingdom that's to come because that is the place. The kingdom that he has ushered in that we are called to live under is his reign. And that was his life. So we can see his kingdom, that it's the reign and the place. That we need it because we live in this middle where sin has destroyed what God has created. But it's being restored. The work on the cross has started that movement. We walk towards the place. That's why we can look at Zephaniah and say, we need to live like the end is here and near. If we look at Luke again, Jesus' walk continues. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, "What or would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you do not know the time of your visitation. Jesus, is, Jesus weeps on his entrance. The people are proclaiming him king, and yet he cries because they have missed the point. The Pharisees are calling him, rebuke your disciples. He's like, no, it's not them who cries this out, but the creator does. The stones will cry out my name. And then what happens next is Jesus comes in and he kicks over the money changing tables. But what he doesn't do is go sit himself in the temple. He doesn't go and take over the government. What he does is he walks to the cross. And you see, God's kingdom comes both in his reign and his place over all people. And because we live in that fractured middle, we need to be careful about what we're ushering in and if we are trying to split the rain from the place. Right? Because what we're really trying to do sometimes, and I think what's happening here, is what we really love is when God's rain and judgment comes on other people, and we get to enjoy his place. We get the territory and the goods, and they need to be made right. Do whatever you need to them. But here's the problem. We are those people. We need his reign. And here's the hard thing, because when we often communicate about this, we, we use the words like we're waiting for heaven or heaven on earth, and what we miss is communicating that what we need is God's presence. 
that we need his reign in us. And that's a hard concept, especially in this world that's going to say between sin, the culture, the evil powers, that you deserve to be in power and in control and to reign your own world. And sometimes as a church, we sit back and we reflect that we like to feel that way. We need to struggle through that part of our heart. Right? We need to understand that we need to prioritize God's place, but not over his presence and his reign in us. That it's okay to seek God's protection, but not at the cost of his law. It's okay to receive God's provision, but we shouldn't ignore what he would like us to spend it on. And we're right to say that heaven exists on this earth, but it doesn't exist because it is Eden. It it, It exists because God's reign has come. His kingdom is here. And when we live in that, we are living in heaven and being walked to that place. So as we get ready to close, I just want to ask a few questions. Do you rest equally as confident in his reign as you do his place? Do you love more of the picture of heaven and the change that it brings versus the change we need in our hearts to live under his rule. Right? We're God's people, all of us. Some of us recognize that and some of us want to push that kingdom away. And we all are resting in God's reign, whether, again, we want to accept it or not, it is here. And we wait for the restoration. We wait for that place to be restored and reunited so that we are God's people living in God's place under God's presence. Some of you may not actually live under his reign. There is not a prayer, there is not a movement that will change your heart. What we can do is call on him What we can do is ask him to lead us. And then we need to follow that place of repentance, of turning from what we said was our kingdom to turning to his. And it's by faith we are saved and we walk in repentance. So maybe today you need to recognize who's king. Whether it's because we've created our own kingdoms or whether because you've never even been willing to see his kingdom We pray that you make that choice. As a church, we love to walk alongside all of God's people and to grow together and to continue to see God's work and his reign reach out. As we keep walking in God's kingdom, we need to be able to challenge our own reigns, our own kingdoms. Right? Sin, this world, the powers of this world would tell us that you should be in charge. That you can elevate yourself or something else equal or above God and God will love you and understand. God will love you and he will understand. 
but he's also going to still be king. And what that means is sometimes those of us who think we know where we sit actually don't really know where we sit. God's word says we will be surprised by who is in and who is out of his kingdom. And so what that calls us to do is to look at his gospel, to look at the truth every day and to see where we need to repent and fall on his authority. As we keep going, just like those disciples there, we we need to see how we miss the kingdom. We need to challenge our own desires for our enemies. Right? We live in God's kingdom. God's presence and his place, although it's a little separated right now, as God's people. We don't get to have the place without the rain. We don't get to wish the rain on other people and deny them the place. Because the kingdom comes, rain and place together. And here's the hard part. That same view we have of God's reign. What if we use that as we look at others and apply it to our own hearts? We need to be careful about how we allow God's reign to be more powerful in other people's lives than our own. Let's pray. Lord, as we, as we do celebrate your kingdom come, we celebrate your entrance to be the king. We know that it's to be the reigner of our heart, the governor of our souls. We know you are doing that to unite us as your people. And Lord, you've given us a heart and a need to go out to reach all of your people who haven't heard this and bowed their knees. And so Lord, we pray just in our hearts that you speak loudly. You convict us, you guide us forward, you give us that heart to be willing to submit to your reign and to be your people. In your name, amen.